American Maritime Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. If you're a new listener, we launched this podcast to look at today's world from the perspective of the 650,000 Americans who make maritime work in this country. These men and women haven't stopped working. They're a critical part of the essential workforce that keeps supplies moving. They've stepped up to meet today's challenge as they always have in times of crisis, and we really can't thank them enough. I also wanna thank the American Maritime Partnership for supporting these men and women and for sponsoring this podcast. Joining us today is someone who is no stranger to maritime, Congressman John Rutherford of the 4th District of Florida. His district includes the greater Jacksonville area and is home to key Navy and commercial maritime operations. Congressman Rutherford is a champion in the truest sense of the word in understanding the importance of robust American shipbuilding and shipping capacity for this great country. Welcome, Congressman Rutherford. We are so honored to have you, and thank you for joining for this podcast. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be with you and talk about what is one of my favorite topics, and that is American Maritime and the Jones Act. Before we get to that, let me just ask you, how are you? How's your family doing? Oh, well, thank you. We're doing well. I tell you, this pandemic has been an amazing time. I have a daughter, Lee, who is on the front lines. She's a nurse in a hospital in Jacksonville, kind of like our maritime crews are, I consider them frontline, just like the folks at police and fire or others. We have my daughter's children. My wife and I kept them for about two months. And for Mother's Day, we gave her a gift and we gave her her two children back because <laughs> we always do daycare for her when she's working and, and we just... It, it, you know, you reach a point and you say, okay, we just got to take the chance yeah. letting yeah, the kids go back and forth. But it, it was really nice actually having them. And in fact, it probably brought the family even closer together because she would come over and we would sit in chairs in a big circle in the backyard. So at least the children got to see their mom. They just couldn't oh, hug her. Man. That weighed That's on something. them both pretty hard, actually. Yeah. And you're back up in D.C. now. What should we expect from Congress over the next weeks and months. How do you see all that working out? Mike, I'll tell you, I think we've got to get back to Washington, D.C., open Congress up, get back to work. You know, we just passed a proxy vote rule that will allow proxy votes in a controlled way. I'm opposed to that. I think we should do our job and be here to do our job. But I do understand that in this challenging time, there are members who who have a hard time getting to uh, to the Capitol. So I, I recognize that, but I've always said Publix and Winn-Dixie can operate. I think the uh, Congress can find a, a way to operate as well. And we really need to get back so we can evaluate and conduct oversight for the CARES Act, you know, how that's properly being followed and also the reopening of our country. Right, absolutely. Let me shift a little bit. Tell our listeners uh, about your background and the uniqueness of your district from a maritime perspective, including Jacksport, which is a key part of the district. Well, I think one reason I probably love the maritime industry so much is my father was in the Navy, so I was a, a Navy dependent growing up, so I have that. Then I was a sheriff and a police officer there in Jacksonville for 41 years, 12 years as sheriff. 
One thing, Mike, that a lot of people don't know about my career as sheriff, during that 12 years, for nine of those 12 years, I was actually the legislative chair for the Florida Sheriff's Association's organization, which represents all 67 sheriffs. So I've been around the sausage making for a while. What really I think is one of the key elements of District 4 is, is our maritime industry. We have Jacksport. We have the port of Fernandina. I think we truly have Northeast Florida positioned to be the logistics hub for the southeastern Italy seaboard. And, you know, we're deepening the, the harbor, the St. John's River, all the way to, to Blunt Island. That is going to allow us to get those post-Panamax ships in there. So we're going to have a deep harbor. We have near rail capacity at our port. You know, we have two major interstate highways, I-10 and I-95. And I, you could even probably count I-75. And, you know, the city has done an amazing job of preparing the land all around Jacksport to be commercial use. And so we have the room for the distribution centers for all the dray that would have to move out of there. And then we also have Cecil Commerce Center, which is the old Cecil Field uh, Naval Air Station, which is there now for civil air commerce. We have it all in Northeast Florida. I'm just excited about the potential, particularly when we start seeing the break that we're beginning to see in some of the supply chains out of China going into the Southwest Pacific. We'll, we'll begin to see some of that coming to the East Coast. That's exciting. It's really great news for Jacksonville. And I, I wanna shift if I can. This is an important year for the maritime industry as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of an important American shipping law called the Jones Act. Could you talk just a little bit about how important the law is and the industry is to your district and also to the country? Well, listen, it's, it's very important in Jacksonville because two of our maritime carriers, Crowley and Tote, well, actually three, uh, Lambridge as well. We actually have a milk run, as they call it, between Jacksonville and Puerto Rico. And those are Jones Act vessels. It really also provides for a certain degree of national security. And I can talk more about that later, but it's very important in Jacksonville, mainly because of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Great. As you may have heard, some people have come out during this crisis uh, and criticized the Jones Act. They said the law should be repealed. What is your message to the people who are making those kinds of statements? Well, listen, I caution them to take into account what just occurred with the COVID-19 pandemic and supply chains that we have in China. I'm going to read you something that I wrote back in April of 19, if I could, very, sure. very quickly. Without a strong domestic maritime industry, the U.S. would be forced to rely on countries like China. Remember now, this was written in April of 19. We would be relying on countries like China to sell us vessels, military supplies, and transport fuel and goods between U.S. ports, like the strong supply chain between Jacksonville, Florida, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. We must not overlook the importance of protecting these supply chains by relinquishing control to foreign entities to build our vessels and transport our goods. We essentially auction our national security to the lowest bidder. So, Mike, that's what I, I believe it's a national security issue of utmost importance. And I think that's been driven home by this pandemic where, where we had industry that was critical to our national security being built in a foreign land. Right. 
Absolutely. It is a time of uh, reflection and we see so much to talk about the need to secure our supply chain, both from a, a production standpoint and from a transportation standpoint. And, and Mike, I'll, I'll add this too. Studies have been done on the difference of cost between a Jones Act vessel delivery and and one from under another foreign flag, there's little, very little to no difference in cost to the consumer. So I think that's something we need to keep in mind too. But the impact to national security is significant and growing more significant every day. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? Right. Let me ask you a question. The Jacksonville has been at the forefront globally of LNG technology, and that's thanks to support from leaders like you. Could you talk a little bit about your work with the Coast Guard and federal agencies to to support use of LNG as fuel for vessels uh, operating out of Jacksonville? Yeah, listen, we're very proud to have two of the maritime carriers that are really on the cutting edge of LNG vessels, and that is Toten Crowley. We also have you know, Eagle LNG located right there in Jacksonville that has, I believe, the largest storage capacity for LNG in the United States. So that is a significant asset for Northeast Florida and America. And I hope that one day we will actually be LNG exporters out of the port of Jacksonville. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. We uh, recently had on this podcast the former captain of the hospital ship, the Comfort. His name was Captain Rockwood. And we saw the importance of the work that the Comfort and the, and the sister ship, the Mercy, have done in response to the pandemic. You're a champion of these types of vessels, and you've led on a, on a maritime administration program to build five new ships to train merchant mariners and to provide humanitarian assistance when needed. Can you uh, talk a little bit about why this is so important and where that program stands? Look, I I think it's not only important that we have training, but we have the best training in the world for our mariners. The ships that we had been training on were, were old. They needed replacing and they were not up to date. We want mariners that can step off of one bridge and step onto the other and know exactly where they're at and what they're doing. I think that's something that we will achieve. Tote is hired to construct at least two of these vessels, and so I'm very proud of that as well. I think they'll be making those up in Philly, but we need to modernize that training fleet for our maritime. Last question for you. What can Congress be doing to help get our maritime operations at full strength? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that concerns me the most, Mike, is is our ready reserve fleet. When you look at the condition of that and the fact that we have to rely on private carriers to conduct our military sea lift, that's a challenge. And a lot of the ready reserve fleet, again, they're old. They need to be replaced. And we need to help these companies with the maintenance of those ships. Just need some maintenance and not replacement. But our sea lift capacity, I think, is not where it should be. 
And as an appropriator, and I'm on Transportation Appropriations Subcommittee, I want to ensure that we're giving Secretary Chow everything that she needs to make that ready reserve fleet responsive and adequate for our military needs should we ever have that sea lift capacity necessary to move our military overseas. Congressman Rutherford, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been so nice to hear from you and, and we truly appreciate your service to, to Florida and to the nation. You have an open invitation to come back on this podcast. So, so please do come back in the future. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the American Maritime Podcast. We thank you for tuning in and encourage you to share this with others who care about American Maritime. I'm Mike Roberts, and this is the American Maritime Podcast signing off.